They say that life is full of opportunities, right? So why are so many of us dreading getting out of bed to face another day? I know what that's like. My life was full of conflict, stress, failure, and fear. When I got cancer for the second time, my choice was simple, change or die. Today, I love waking up. I love my life. I love owning my own business that is helping people learn and grow. So how do you unlock that kind of transformation in your life? Let's discover the answers together as we hear from ordinary people like you and me and their extraordinary success stories. My name is Donna Gammon, and this is Power to Grow. Welcome, welcome, everyone. I am so excited to have back Dr. Fit today, you guys. Dr. Fit is, has an amazing story. It was so amazing that he literally was asked to be on Oprah years ago, and his story is phenomenal. And I'm just going to turn the time over to him because he can share his story way better than any of us can. So without further ado, I'm just going to let Dr. Fit thank you and welcome to the show today. And just share with the viewers, I know we shared a little bit of your story before, but now we're going to get into the deep part of it. So can you share kind of what happened the morning of and, and what actually happened that day that this terrible accident happened? So Dr. Fit. Sure, Donna. Um, thank you, first of all, for the opportunity. Going back in time, wow. It all started at University of Utah. Freshman year at University of Utah, I got into a lot of sports and I did a lot of the same things I'm doing now. I just trained and uh, to prepare myself for athletic opportunities. And uh, it was during the summer I met a young lady named Marcella, who was also a potential athlete. She moved to Utah from Colorado to pursue athletics at Weber State and her education there. So it was, it was a really exciting time. You know, we had dated and worked out all throughout the summer, and it all came down to that last day of the summer, day before my sophomore year. And we decided to go for a jog to say, you know, to kind of talk and say goodbye. And so I rode my mountain bike over to her house, and we stretched out on the lawn there, had a glass of Kool-Aid, and she shared a poem with me. And uh, that was very touching. And then we just started heading down this country road. It was in the evening time, actually. And we got down to the stop sign there and turned around. As we were going back, I noticed that she started to fall behind me uh, significantly. And um, I could hear her back there. And I said, hey, are you okay? And so she said, yeah. And I, I could hear her, you know, struggling a little bit. So I started talking about, hey, are, you know, it's, it's super exciting, you know. Um, I know you're going to do awesome at Weber State. And we, gosh, we, it was fun preparing, you know, this whole um, summer. And uh, just about that time that, that uh, I was kind of slowing down for her to catch up, I could feel in an, in, in an instance, you know, a car was, was, was there, was there. And uh, so I just screamed out her name, you know, Marcella. And we were, we were hit by a drunk driver that had been to uh, five bars uh, drinking, which later I found out was his routine every day, just go to five bars on the way home from work. And so I got knocked out uh, momentarily, and then as I came to, I saw the brake lights of the car, and he was just sitting there. And um, I was really confused and in a lot of pain. Uh, my, my bones were sticking out of my legs below the knees there, 
and I started to look for Marcella. And it was very terrifying and very scary. It just so painful, excruciating. And I saw the car turn around and come back at us. Oh my and at God. That, at that point in time, I put my head down because I thought I was a goner. And so the driver was also scared and was making an escape. It was a hit and run. And as he um, came past us, I have no idea if he hit us again. I blacked out again. And then I do know that he was doing 120 in oncoming traffic. And he ran a lady off the road named Rochelle Johnson, who I later met and talked to. And uh, as Rochelle came back on the road, she was terrified herself and wondering what the heck was going on. And she was driving very slowly, approaching the scene of the accident. She started to see uh, shoes, socks, clothes. Real that moment, there was another person named Billy Ross, who had just got off work. He was 16 years old, and he worked at Stop and Shop, bagging groceries. He turned onto 2550 North, where we were hit, and he saw these two bodies there on the road, and he went into shock. Fortunately, he was able to position his vehicle so that you know the other cars didn't hit us and so as Rochelle and Billy looked at each other she thought that Billy had you know killed two people so she went around Billy and went to the 7-eleven and got a police officer when they came back to the scene of the accident Billy was gone just not even they don't know where he went or what happened to him and the officer said to Rochelle you work on the, the guy the young man here and I'll work on the young lady so that's what I remember is um, Rochelle Johnson took my hand in hers and she said, what's your name? It's going to be okay. And that's, that's what I remember. And that was, that was the beginning wow. of it all where I started to hear the sirens and the ambulance came and they took me off to the hospital. Wow. So now, now here you are, you're, they're trying to revive you guys. They're trying to hope, you know, you survive and live you and your girlfriend and you're kind of in and out, it sounds like. So when do you really come to at that point to know really what happened? So, yeah, I was, uh, I was conscious, conscious and uh, I remember them um, loading me into the ambulance and how painful that was. Um, and then I remember that terrifying feeling of hearing sirens and realizing the sirens are for you. Mm. It was just very surreal. I mean, it's super strange. So yeah, I ended up, um, you know, going back out. They probably gave me something for my pain. And then it was like, I woke up days later. I mean, just in and out over the next two days. So I, I didn't find out until Marcella had passed until they felt like I was stable enough to hear that information. So it was really hard on me. So this was a couple of days after she had already passed. You're finally waking up and you're now at this point to where you're finding out that your girlfriend has now, she's passed and has been for a few days. Is that right? Yeah, I kept asking, you know, how Marcella was doing and they kept telling me that she was being cared for at a different hospital at first. And then one day my mom, my mom was in a wheelchair, my adopted mother. She had no legs. Um, her legs were amputated due to diabetes and so she came wheeling in in her electric wheelchair with this stuffed animal I still have it by the way and it just kind of a sad look on its face the stuffed animal a little puppy mm-hmm. and as soon as I saw the stuffed animal I just started crying because I knew what she was going to say you know the words out of her mouth you know she wanted to be the one to tell me 
And so she she did. She said, um, Marcella didn't make it. And that's when I first learned of that and cried and started to deal with it. I mean, it was hard. Oh, my goodness. I, I can't imagine that whole scenario there. But I know that you now your journey's not over. You're in the middle, you're in the hospital, you've got some major issues of your own that you're dealing with. You've got these broken bones and shattered and legs and, and some major issues that are going on with you. So what happened at that point for your health? Like where did it spiral from there for you? Well, I have with me here, Dr. Croslin, who's a very good surgeon, at the St. Benedict's, he was back then. It was St. Benedict's Hospital in Ogden. He he took some bone fragments from the scene of the accident. Actually, you know, they put your leg back together, and these are called tibial nails, and they actually hold your tibia together. So if you can wow. imagine, that looks some bone fragments. Like a little rod to me. So it those is a rod. Listening, it's just a rod with some little open like holes that I'm guessing so they put pins pins go in there pins go yeah. in. okay yeah. so they they put both of these one in the left tibia and one in the right tibia and that's kind of how I got pieced together you're in a wheelchair I was in a wheelchair and my legs were just pieced together with these rods holding them uh, together at that point in time and I was in denial for sure um, you know I had these goals I had friends I was supposed to meet up with I had Oh, I was just so in shock about Marcella's passing. And so being in denial, I had the nurses actually wheel me my whole hospital bed to the weight room. <laughs> and I actually tried to lift weights. And I was using the little triangle, you know, the little thing you hold on to and pulling uh -huh. myself yeah, up. I'm and really it was back. extremely mm -hmm. frustrating, like you would see in a movie. Just mm -hmm. ridiculous. I just was having a hard time at first accepting the reality of it all you know my so, dreams are shattered my girlfriend's gone the, mm -hmm. they don't know you know the outcome of my legs what's going to happen you know so that was my starting point and and then I had to um, reevaluate things and sh just shift my energy start to shift my energy to acceptance and to new goals new goals Use my competitive drive, my determination from, you know, preparing for, say, like a football tryout to walking again, you know, mm -hmm. and dealing with surgeons and ideas and being thankful that, I, that you know, that, hey, you know, I have these surgeons working for me really hard to try and save my legs and get me back on my feet. That's where I was at. That so now time. you're at the point to where you don't even know if your legs are going to be savable. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I don't know for sure. I mean, you know, I'm confident in surgeons. I have an interest in medicine, you know, but I have that fear, you know, of seeing what my mother went through and losing her legs. And mm -hmm. so you worry, as she did, um, especially, right. you know. So you had it, like it was really, like came home to you because your your mom and her not having her legs. So that was something you knew how hard it was. You knew the difficulties of it. And yet you were dealing with something very similar yourself. So when you're at that point, you're in your bed, you're trying to, to do some weights, but you, you can't, you're physically not able to. And 
here your legs are busted up and they're in bad shape and you're not even sure if you're going to have legs because of the situation, where is your mindset at that point? Like what, what's going through your mind? Like, what are you thinking? How are you feeling? Are you going through depression? What, what's going on there? It becomes a day by day approach. And in general, I told myself, I says, I need to switch schools. I need to switch from University of Utah back to Weber State where I can be at home and have assistance from family and friends and my church that I belong to, my ward. And uh, so that's what I did. I just took it day by day. I went to Weber State in a wheelchair. I started taking classes and embarking upon a journey that I didn't realize how long it was going to take. You know, this journey ends up being 11 years before I'm completely free of pins, wheelchairs, crutches, walkers. But I was at Weber State for seven years Mm -hmm. and just kept doing what I could. And that was to get an education and take classes and use, you know, let my mind grow. And so that's, that's what I focused on. I focused on school. And as I was having surgery, I became more fascinated in medicine. And then I just made the decision to be, to go to medical school. So I started to change, shift my educational focus to the classes required, you know, pre-med. And that was, um, that was really um, rewarding because you have to get these, you know, and, and these, I mean, these, it's really competitive. So you have to uh, start switching to a, the science curriculum. And, and uh, so that's what I did. I, and I, I kept having, you know, fun along the way. Like I had friends take me out um, pheasant hunting in a wheelchair. They would all come up, show up at my house and take me to the movies in the wheelchair. Um, we would play games. So you start to see the, um, the importance of a good support system, which mm. I think is crucial in, 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 in recovering from these types of adversities. You know, having friends around you, your family, your church is extremely helpful. It really was. Um, so that's awesome. And then, and then the, yeah, I just started the journey of the comeback. Thank goodness you had that support. So as you're going through this whole scenario here, you were having multiple surgeries. How many surgeries did you tell me you had? Yeah, so it was 25 experimental surgeries over the course of 11 years. Wow, 25 surgeries. Now I want to go to the surgery where the doctors were trying to save your leg. Your leg was not healing properly you needed some extra support. And so they did a surgery that was very uncommon at the time and something they hadn't actually done before. Is that correct? Well, actually, no. What it was, was it was um, a more primitive surgery. It turns out in my, my story that microvascular surgery didn't work. I drove all the way to Flint, Michigan, to get a doctor's opinion, a surgeon. He's a world-renowned surgeon, Dr. Lister. And what he does is he can move you know, different muscles and vessels around as needed to help a different area of your body heal. So he did a 13-hour microsurgery where he took my latissimus dorsi, my left lat, and stuck it on the front right leg, took a blood vessel out of my left forearm, ran it down my thigh into my lower leg, and connected it all up you know, microsurgery, 13 hours, and it ended up dying. And he explained that by saying that the wound 
wasn't fresh enough. And so it was a timing thing. It didn't work. So that took me back to the drawing board. And uh, I had this guy. I don't know if you guys can see that. That's what's called a uh, bone stretcher or a Monticelli Spinelli external fixation device. And this stuff came from over in Europe, I think Russia. But they were stretching bones over there. So Dr. Scott. So for those of you that are listening, he's showing me a metal machine. It looks like a metal contraption that has circular things that are going around his leg, it looks like. And it's running up and down his leg. It's very huge, bulky, big. It looks like a contraption. Uh, so, But it obviously yeah. was something that worked. So, Yeah, if any of you have ever seen uh, someone in traction when they break their neck and they have that halo on their head, I had one yeah, on my leg. That's exactly yeah, what and, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what that contraption achieved was bone stretching. So Dr. Scott introduced the concept to me of bone stretching where you can actually cut the outer layer of bone and then place that bone under some tension over time. It's the same concept as braces, you know, that move your teeth in your mouth and the orthodontist will adjust your braces and then your teeth will move slowly over time, which is bone. Same thing with my right tibia. They started to put tension on the bone after they cut the compact bone. And then over time, every day I turned this thing with a wrench and my two bone endings, if you will, slowly came back together over time. So once the bones were back together, that's where the dilemma came in. How do you get two bone endings to heal and mend, right? And so they were having a difficult time getting circulation to those bone endings. There was one point in time where I had my soleus muscle, which is underneath your calf. Dr. Ralston and Ogden wrapped my soleus muscle over the top of my right shin and it died. So I lost that muscle. And so they were running out of options on how do we get this bone to heal? How do we get blood flow to this bone? And that's when Dr. Scott consulted Dr. Pete of New Zealand. And he says, you know, there's some, from some primitive, a primitive procedure where you connect one part of the person's body to the other part of the person's body to achieve circulation. So that's what they, they proposed to do. During that so time. Connecting both of your legs together, which means yes. you can't walk, obviously. Yeah, you would yeah. be, they said, if you do this procedure, you will be totally confined to a bed for up to three months, maybe more, we don't know. Wow. And so that's what you kind of have to consider in your mind. What are, what are my options? You know, what am I willing to do to save my leg? And so to gather my thoughts, I jumped in the car, um, took a road trip with my friend Mark to San Diego. I'll never forget it. We got to the beach. I got my crutches, um, had my contraption on my leg, and I crutched over to the sand. I sat down. And I took my shoes off, my socks off, and um, I put my feet in the sand. And in that moment, I I remember doing a couple things. First of all, just really soaking in what what it feels like to have your feet in the sand and how good that feels. And then thinking about how my mom lost her feet and how what her life is like. And at the same time, I started to take in everything around me. You know, and I started to, started to visualize myself running down the beach. I could see the seagull hovering. 
I could smell the ocean, I could feel the breeze. So I was taking in all those senses, using all my senses to really just capture that moment and visualize myself running with my own legs down the beach again mm-hmm. one day. And so I says, Mark, I says, man, I think I'm going to do that surgery. I think I'm going to have them sew my legs together. And so we went back and I told Dr. Scott, let's do it. And actually Mark was my nurse, my friend who became like a, a nurse that helped me in, in my room and, you know, would dump my bedpan for me, my urinal, play chess with me. And there's something personal that I'd like to share, you know, right before this surgery, I lost my, my mom, my adopted mom. She passed away. And uh, so that was an added burden on my heart. But then I received another blessing. I received the blessing of meeting my biological parents, which was huge and very unique and rare and, and fortunate. So believe it or not, my natural father, who played quarterback at Utah State with Merlin Olson, he was living in California. He actually flew into Utah and lived or visited during the time my legs were sewn together. I had two dads there helping me. That's now, how big of a blessing is that? How unique is that to That's have your two dads there helping you? My, you know, playing dominoes, playing chess with my one dad. My one dad, Walter, didn't like chess, so I played checkers with him, played chess with my natural father. It was, it was such a huge blessing and support system. Again, friends, family, I was just very blessed and able to, with my own thinking, start to deal with pain in a different way using visualization, you know, white light visualization, pain techniques and mindset, you know, starting to understand that you really have to focus on the outcome and, and, and believe and believe and believe and so I was so fortunate with the thing. Yes, belief is huge. Mm-hmm. Belief can change anything and everything. Yeah. You must hold on to to that belief system. Because the mind is ultimately the most powerful thing. Mm-hmm. We do you know, medicine is good, medicine saves lives, medicine can can take lives, you know, accidents and stuff, but so I was in one one hand I was very thankful, you know, to have these surgeons and all this medical attention that helped me to save my leg. And on the other hand, you know, you have to use your own mind to see the outcome and believe that's gonna happen. Right. And um hold on to that like no other, right? That's what I wanna talk about just a little bit is is your mindset. So you're in the hospital, you're having to be there for three months in this bed to let, allow your your leg to heal and your mindset, you said belief is the biggest thing. And and as you were on the beach right before that surgery, making that decision to save your leg, feeling the sand on your feet, listening to all the senses and the smells, touch, taste, everything that you were, was going on at that moment and really taking that in and, and that belief of feeling like, yes, I yeah, essentially what was happening, what was happening is I was, I was experiencing that moment in my mind and I made it so real mm-hmm. that it was real. You know, the more you focus on something in great detail with your senses, if you can smell it, you can taste it, you can feel it, you can touch, you can hear it. 
the more real it is in your mind and then it becomes just a manifestation you know over time it's starting you're starting to attract it as i learned after studying you know anthony robbins deepak chopra mm-hmm. and then my you know trip to oprah winfrey but yeah um that's so- Let's talk a little bit about Oprah. So Oprah took you on her show, brought you in, and there was this drunk driver that obviously... I have to laugh. I really have to laugh because, believe it or not, I was just a kid that wrote a letter to Oprah Winfrey. What are the odds of Oprah responding to my letter? Yeah. I wrote a letter. Why did I write the letter? I wrote a letter because I started to take a step back and look from the outside looking in and think, wow, you know, this drunk driver, he serves a year in the county jail and keeps his job and goes to work every day and sleeps at the jail every night for one year was his sentence. Mm-hmm. And I started to, you know, realize, okay, I'm not judging the, you know, our system, but this is a story that people need to hear about and they need mm-hmm. to be educated. And through sharing this story, it will give Marcella's life more meaning and value because this story did change the the legal system with the dram shop law and how they protect victims that this happens to in the future after our case. Mm -hmm. So that letter I wrote to Oprah and I just simply explained everything that happened in in my story and the, 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 what happened to the drunk driver. And she was like, wow, I can't believe that. I would like for you to be on my show. And she said, how would you feel about contacting this driver? And that's when I shared with her, I said, you know what? You're not going to believe this, but he lives in my area a few blocks away. His wife actually came to my house to say she was sorry. And my mom, my adopted mom, slammed the door in her face because she was so bitter. And I was just taking it all in going, hey, I don't want to, I'm not going to be bitter because that consumes your energy and it's not my nature as a person. I'm going to put my energy into healing. So I did. And mm-hmm. I actually called this driver up and you can only imagine the silence on the other end of the phone. Oh, I can't imagine. You're asking him to be on well, Oprah and his <laughs> first story of all, I said, to the world. So is this, is this Brett? And he said, yes. And I said, this is Sydney. And there was this silence, you know, and I said, I'm calling you. I know this is a little odd, but I'm calling you because I've been contacted by Oprah Winfrey. And she says, asked me for you to be on the show and share your side of the story. What happened to you? I mean, like the events that led up to your decision making. And so he was at the time going through some medical problems himself and was unsure if he could even travel. So he actually did it. And so that took a lot to go on the show and right. in front of the whole nation and say, this is what I did. I killed this girl and I injured this man and I left the scene of the accident. And it was because I drank this much alcohol and, you know, I was thrown out of the woman's restroom at these bars and they kept serving me and serving me. And, you know, so that's kind of what happened. But wow. yeah, he did. He, Oprah was pretty hard on him. And so was she, yeah. yeah. That's a hard you would thing expect. you know, you're, yeah, exactly. You know, Decisions, I mean, yeah. you know, they're a person too. They are. And, and I get that. And sometimes our choices are not always the best choices. But I've learned that, you know, you could, but, it could easily be flipped around to work right. on the other side of the coin. Exactly. Because the more you live life, the more you realize, you know, it's important not to judge and right. to know exactly. that, yeah, you could easily be in someone else's shoes. 
So you could have been very bitter during this time too. You could have really just had that bitterness kind of swell up inside of you and and really destroy what was left of, you know, the rest of your life. And yet you chose to change that mindset. You chose to be positive. You chose to forgive. And you also chose to believe that you could have a better life, even with the circumstances you were dealt with. And so tell me, I want to go into just a little bit, because you even went further with your health and even tried out for Ninja Warrior, right? Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Um, You know, if I was going to uh, outline the ingredients of my recovery, my first ingredient would be my natural optimism and determination. I'm a very optimistic, fun, easygoing guy. And that, that was like immediately the first thing that, that, that you know about me is how, you know, how I am in that way. So, you know, for example, Dr. Scott asked me to speak to other patients that were, that had bad attitudes like Carter Cooper and mm-hmm. who was 16 when I met him. Um, you'd see, I have pictures of me uh, making x-ray texts, laugh, you would think that this, the patient would be the one that was upset and, and, and worried and scared. But I was optimistic even during my x-rays and, and any surgery or anesthesiologist, you know, you talk to about Sidney Reeves, it's like, God, that guy had such a great attitude throughout this whole procedure. Mm-hmm. So the first ingredient was my attitude just that I was born with. And mm-hmm. then from there, you know, the, my determination, competitive drive, and all of it, you know, the, the help of surgeons, the attitude, the focus, the visualization, all of those together created the outcome. And the outcome was in 1997, let's see, it was 98, sorry, 1998, Dr. Scott and I pulled these pins out of my leg in the office, you know, no anesthesia. And he, I says, Dr. Scott, this is almost like cutting the ribbon, right? So I actually took the freaking wire cutters and cut the wire <laughs> for your which, pins. Wow. Yeah, to remove the pins in my legs. And I can't begin to tell you what that was like. <laughs> oh wow! But um, I cut the wire, and then it was like this—you know, really, this, your legs start shaking. And then uh, I grabbed onto that wire, and I literally pulled it through my leg and out the other side. But I disassembled this bone stretcher that I wore for three years, you know, and pulled it out myself. I said, I really want to do this myself, Dr. Scott. And he was just like there smiling and supporting me and cheering me on. And mm-hmm. I was sweating bullets. I'm not going to lie. But mm-hmm. when I walked out of that hospital, I walked out with no crutches. And I tell you what, um, gives uh, cloud nine a whole new meaning. I laid on the grass outside the hospital and, uh, I just said a little prayer to myself that I'm never going back to the hospital and I am thankful that I made it. Mm-hmm. And I just was over just every cell in my body was just filled with joy and, and gratefulness. And I tell you what, I used all that as energy to do what I do now. And that's work out, help others work out, eat right, change your eating habits, never go back to the hospital. And to prove my theories on fitness, I was asked if I could do American Ninja Warrior. And I said, I absolutely can. I have a six foot wingspan, small in frame, you know, I'm five, nine, 170 pounds. I'm the same size as those guys. And I have amazing upper body strength due to the fact I was on crutches for 11 years. My triceps are extremely strong. 
I lift weights on top of that. So I started to train for American Ninja Warrior and went through a few auditions with them and proved that I was capable and fully recovered um, as I demonstrated my ability to to do American Ninja Warrior obstacles. Wow. Wow. I, I just, that your story is just so phenomenal. And to hear how you got through that and was able to achieve such great, great things in your life is just phenomenal. And I just applaud you for all that you've done and all the people that you've helped. I mean, I know that you're speaking at schools and you're speaking at events and you're just sharing your story. And, you know, we all have stuff. We all have things we go through. It's what we do to get through those things that makes the difference. And for you. Yeah. And throughout the process, throughout the process, you start to realize that you're going through those trials to get to a purpose. Right. And I promise you there is a purpose for all the trials and adversities. And once you see the purpose, then it's like an epiphany and you can really pursue like me. I'm passionate about fitness and helping others to um, get their life back. So now I can live my purpose because I found my purpose through what I went through. And uh, so that's why in my book, maybe it may be entitled running into purpose. Mm, I love that. Well, let's segment into that because we have, he's working on a book. Hopefully his book will be coming out the first of the year. That's, I think, his plan. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. Yay. Book and a movie. You're going to meet with some some publishers and movie producers here in January. Ah, awesome. So not only is he getting a book out, but possibly producing a movie that pertains to this. And Dr. Fitt, I just... I just appreciate you so much coming on today, sharing your story, being vulnerable and telling us all the things that you went through and just giving hope to those that might be dealing with the same thing. And just remember, as Dr. Fitz said, your attitude, your belief, your, you know, visualizing what you want and your focus is, is the things that pulled you through. At least that's what I was getting through your message that made the difference for you. And, and we just appreciate you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. And um, yes, you know, please don't give up, stay in the moment. Don't worry about the future so much or the past, just stay in the moment and make that moment the best you can during that time. And I promise you, you'll get to a better place. Promise. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you all for listening today. And we do have a special thing that Dr. Fit is going to be sharing with you that will be his Simply Eating and possibly doing a series on that so we can share more about his journey and how he stays so healthy and fit. And so I'm sure we'll have him back and be sharing some more things on his story. So thank you again, Dr. Fit, for everything. We appreciate you. And My pleasure. Stay tuned. I'll be offering Dr. Fitz's dose of simple eating. Woo, I love it. And this is Donna Gammon with Power to Grow. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave a review now and I will give you a free download of my blessed morning. This is something that is worth so much. It's what I use to get past my past, if you know what I mean. Until our next show, thank you again for joining us. This is Donna Gammon, and this is Power to Grow.